Good evening, listeners, and welcome back to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Alastair Murden, and on this show, I use short stories to explore society's curious rituals and odd beliefs. Today, we sail across the Atlantic to the ancient chateau of the Loire and the legends of medieval kings. In the old days, French royals weren't like other royals. These kings had a special power over the lesser mortals they ruled. They could cure skin disease. Theoretically, once French kings were crowned and anointed with holy oil, they became semi-sacred beings, and just a touch of their finger could cure any ailment of the skin. Of course, the people clamored for that touch. But kings were not always generous with it. We don't know why exactly. Possibly they did not find their people's lives worth their precious royal time. Or maybe they sought to preserve the mystique of their royal touch. Or for some other reason altogether. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. Coming up, a story about a decrepit French chateau and an interior designer determined to bring history back to life. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Remy ran fabric swatches through his fingers as he looked out to the courtyard. Snow lay thick across the crumbling old fountain. It was freezing inside too. These enormous old windows were always drafty. They were pretty, with stained glass fleur-de-lis at the crown. He liked pretty but he'd have to replace them with good, double-pane glass. Concessions to comfort were important, too. He'd learned that after years of doing this, helping rich people with extravagant, beautiful renovations on their European castles, he was an interior designer, but he liked to get in early, have a real say on the shape of the project. Especially this time. This time was special. This project was for Valerie, his best friend, the girl who'd introduced him to this whole world of taste, glamour, and luxury, who'd just gotten married. Her husband had bought her this pile as a wedding gift. It would be their vacation house, and she tasked Remy with making it perfect. He couldn't disappoint her, especially because when Valerie wasn't happy, she could a bit nasty. A shiver ran down his back. He remembered that time in college when James, her crush, turned out to be gay and into Remy. She hadn't liked that. 
She told a frat boy that James and Remy were the ones who'd written Abolish the Frats on their fraternity door. Three brothers had threatened to beat Remy and James to a pulp. Valerie acted all nice after that, coming over when he spent the next week in bed. But Remy saw the pleased little twinkle in her eye when he told her what happened. The smile on her face as she dabbed his eyes with her handkerchief. A little something she'd picked up at Hermes. A shiver ran down his spine. Again, this time out of shame. He didn't love that his best friend thought the whole world should bow at her feet, but he remembered lying on his mattress, looking up at her, and knowing he couldn't give up the trip on her yacht that summer by getting angry. He wanted her life too badly to call her out, so he'd forgotten about James, gone on the yacht. And here he was, ten years later, trying to put together design boards for Valerie's chateau, but failing to do so. Maybe the creative block was because this house was for her, Maybe because he hated that even now, she was always the one who got what she wanted, and here he was serving her, when he was the one who really understood history, design, architecture, the deep, complex beauty of this place. This place should be his, damn it. He gritted his teeth, paced around the empty stone hall, held his swatches up against the walls in the weak winter light, and groaned. Maybe he just needed some fresh insight into what this particular chateau really had to say, and also maybe to get out of the chateau. He turned back towards the window, then grabbed his peacoat off the sill. Marie, the caretaker, would know if there were any historical records around the place, records that could inspire the right look. Her family had looked after the estate for generations, Thank God Valerie hadn't tried to fire her yet. He was worried she might. Marie had an unsightly rash down her neck. Valerie couldn't stand that kind of thing. She wasn't afraid to let people know they disgusted her. But Marie was like a real, living link to the chateau's past. And she'd been kind to Remy from the day he'd arrived, offering him dinner and bringing him little baguette sandwiches throughout the day. He'd mostly turned her friendly overtures down. He was trying to concentrate, he was embarrassed he didn't speak French, and he was on a diet. But now, after thinking about Valerie so much, Marie's kindness seemed extra appealing. He clutched his coat tighter around his shoulders, heading toward her little cottage on the grounds. Marie opened the door before he could even knock and pulled him inside out of the snow. She tutted over Remy in her charming franglish, gushing. Monsieur Remy, you are not dressed for the cold. Come by the fire. Un café? Du thé? Yes, okay, very good. Come sit. Remy tried to interrupt. No, Marie, really, that's not necessary. I'm just here to ask about the records of the house. Do you have any old photos, plans, drawings, anything like that? But Marie just clucked some more, pushed him into a chair, and bustled off to the kitchen to prepare tea. She yelled back towards him. Oh, oui, oui, bien sûr. But tea first, Mr. Remy. You are too cold. Just un moment. 
Remy shifted in his chair. It was nice to be somewhere warm. He was staying in the carriage house, which was better than the chateau itself. But this was positively cosy. Especially once Marie planted a mug in his hands. He wrapped his fingers around it, feeling grateful. Voila, records of the house, Monsieur Remy. I look into the little office. You stay. Remy nodded, obedient, and watched Marie bustle off. Then his gaze drifted to the details of the room. The place was nothing fancy, but there was a definite charm to it. Some of this he could store away for future inspiration. The craftsmanship of the cabinets, the round, ornate detailing in the wood, for example, was exquisite, and the charming patterned lampshades and the dark finish on this coffee table. Actually, what color was that stain? He'd never seen exactly the shade before. Marie interrupted the train of thought with a stack of documents. She dumped them on the little table in front of him. Ah, there we are. Everything I have, monsieur. We keep it here because the chateau is so damp. Sit, read, and then stay for dinner. You are working yourself to starvation. Remy couldn't help but grimace. He wished he was working himself to starvation. He needed to get through this creative block, and these papers felt like his best bet. But he had to be polite. So he nodded. Merci, Marie. You're really much too good to me. Marie tutted and clapped her hands delighted. Parfait, monsieur. I'm cooking now. You, you work. With that, she bustled back to the kitchen. Remy turned to the documents. The paper on the top of the stack seemed like a basic lowdown of the chateau's history, from what Remy could pass from the French. Most of it he already knew. It had been built by the Dukes of Anjou in the Middle Ages, additions throughout the next several centuries. He flipped to the next page to find a drawing, or a photocopy of a drawing. Definitely medieval. It showed ladies in strange architectural hats clustered around the chateau's main hall and gallant-looking men lingering near them, wearing elaborate shirts and tights. Remy's eyes lingered on those legs for a moment, his interest peaked. Then he drew his finger along the tapestries that lined the stone walls. Yes, this was what he needed, to see the building full of life. He felt that familiar twinge of inspiration tickling his mind and turned to the next sheet. This one was a real photograph, so it had to be late 19th century at least. It showed a young man leaning in the chateau entranceway, and he looked strangely familiar. There was no name listed in the caption, so Remy called Marie over, goosebumps running up his arms. Who is this Marie? Do you know? Marie looked curiously from Remy to the photo and nodded slowly. He is very like you, no? You are French, Monsieur Remy? Remy blushed. No, I... Well, maybe some of my family, yes. On my mother's side, they were French. Marie nodded thoughtfully. Interesting. Yes, he is the last proprietor descended from the old royal line. Remy raised a brow. The royal line? Marie nodded more and more quickly, 
The royal line, oui, the dukes, they had royal blood, bien sûr, the dukes of Anjou, very important. Remy nodded reassuringly. It was harder to understand her when she talked quickly. Yes, yes, of course. What happened to him? Marie looked at him curiously again and then grinned. He saw the chateau and went to America, where you were born, looking just like him. Perhaps you are a descendant of the old kings. Remy stared at Marie, bug-eyed. He'd always been so superstitious about coincidences, and this man did look remarkably like him. Of course, Valerie would dismiss the suggestion immediately. She wouldn't be able to stand the thought that she wasn't the princess in their relationship. Actually, if he was royalty, there probably wouldn't be a relationship. Or maybe there wouldn't be a Remy. She'd practically kill him for stealing her spotlight. Still, the idea he was royal did seem to jog some inspiration. That and the images in Marie's files. He pulled his little notebook out of his pocket and started jotting down thoughts, juxtaposing medieval austere, textile-laden splendor with the 19th century's more feminine, gracious use of space, and of course, Valerie's own confident, bold love of color and texture. You couldn't take that away from her. He sighed. But then, he felt the focus close in. He was getting somewhere. It was a special feeling getting lost in his work. He let it wash over him, and then he began to sketch. Remy had almost forgotten where he really was when, an hour later, Marie returned with a glass of wine. Come, come, working yourself to starvation again, Remy. Dinner is ready. Duck au no, you will love it. You need food for your work, no? And wine, bien sûr. She handed him the glass. He took it with a grateful smile. She really was sweet. As the pair worked through the duck and the potatoes and the bottle of wine, Marie leaned back. Bon, Remy, I know it may sound silly, but I know the faces of all the old dukes of Anjou, and you really do look too much the same. I think you have royal blood. Remy smiled, tempted again by the idea. I wish, Marie, I do. My family is nothing fancy, as far as I know. Marie shrugged and gave him a cheeky smile. There is an easy way to find out. We can see if you have the royal touch. Remy looked at her in confusion. She laughed. Oh, oui, oui, c'est simple, Remy. You just touch my skin here. She pointed to her neck and the angry rash that covered it. If you have the royal touch, it will be cured. Remy frowned. I... I'm afraid I don't understand. Why? Marie shrugged. He's not for understanding. It's a gift from God for the kings of France and their descendants. When God ordained their rule over France, they became connected to him and received sacred powers. Remy felt something flutter in his belly, then his chest. It almost felt like recognition. 
He couldn't really believe himself. Surely none of this could be real. But then, why the hell not? He reached across the table and stroked Marie's neck. For a long moment, he stared at the skin. But nothing happened. Remy's face fell. He felt embarrassed that it didn't work, but even more embarrassed that he cared. How was he this disappointed? All his resentment against Valerie was clearly going to his head, thinking he might be royalty and magic? Come on. If he was this desperate to show Valerie he wasn't her little servant, maybe it was time to get some space from her. Even if it meant missing out on Summer in the Hamptons with her, which he did hate to miss. As he stewed, however, Marie was looking at him thoughtfully, and then her face brightened. One moment, Remy. We will try again. I know what we need. She hurried out of the room and then returned with a little vial. It's holy oil. What's they used to anoint the old French kings and awaken their connection to God. Perhaps if we anoint you... Remy tried to brush her away, but she just clucked. None of the doctors can cure me, Remy. You must try. Oh, poor Marie. Then she smeared the oil across his forehead in the shape of a cross and stuck out her neck pointedly. With a sigh and a shake of his head, Remy tried again. His fingers grazed her neck, and he watched the rash on Marie's skin fade away. Coming up, Remy's time to reign. I'm Sarah Turney, host of Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. In 2020, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and finding that the truth may be even harder to locate than the person. Who forced a famed explorer to lose his way? What did a missing Hollywood starlet leave behind? And how could the heiress to a Chicago candy fortune just vanish? Every Thursday on Disappearances, join me for a deeper look into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Tracking timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the actual truth. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. It was late by now. Remy left Marie's cottage in a daze, but he was not ready to go to bed. He was royal. And... He had magic powers. This was unbelievable. His first instinct was to call Valerie and gloat. But she was in Fiji on her honeymoon. It would be the crack of dawn there. She'd never pick up the phone. And he wasn't sure he was quite ready for whatever cruel thing she'd say to cut him down, if she even believed him. He wanted to savor this for a moment, savor his triumph. He was the special one the royal one. 
He walked towards the chateau, this big, grey, hulking thing that belonged to his ancestors. It really should be his. He knew that now, as he arrived at the massive front doors. He pulled them open and stared. It was the same cavernous entrance hall, but it wasn't empty anymore. All those textiles he'd imagined for the chateau, the warm, intimate, feminine breakdown of space, it was here. Cozy armchairs, Japanese screens, medieval tapestries, a plush Persian rug, and then someone walked through a door at the end of the hall. A man in those medieval tights. He looked strangely like James, the boy he'd given up on for Valerie all those years ago. And he bowed to Remy. Monsieur, welcome. We've been waiting for you. I hope it looks as you imagined. He gestured around the room. Remy sputtered. I... (laughs) I mean, it it does, but where am I? What is going on? The James lookalike bowed again. You are the royal heir. And now that you've been anointed, your blood calls to the stories in the Chateau Stones. You've brought it back to life. Remy grabbed the back of a chair. It felt solid. Was he hallucinating or... I don't understand. Is this some kind of alternate reality? The man in tights shrugged. Whatever it is, you made it. It's sustained by the trickle of royal blood that flows in you. France's kings are sacred. They can do things no ordinary mortal can. Remy walked cautiously to another door off the hall and peered into the next chamber. That one, too, was fully decorated, restored, cozy. A fire crackled merrily on the hearth. He peered through another door. This one led to a comfortable modern bathroom, just how he would have designed it. So, everything here is exactly how I want it? The man in tights nodded. You've been given your gift from God as a French royal. But it's true that with God-given power comes responsibility, which must be faced wisely, or the power may slip away. Remy tapped his fingers nervously. What did he mean, slip away? That sounded ominous. He didn't like that he didn't know the rules of this game. He was tempted to turn around and run out the doors immediately, however appealing it was to stay in this positively dreamy chateau, apparently as its lord. But then, a woman swept into the room in a raggedy medieval peasant's dress. Valerie. She bowed too and tended to the fire. Remy stared for a moment and then started laughing, hysterically. He hadn't even known that was what he wanted, but it felt so good to see Valerie like that, finally knocked off her perfect purebred high horse, a peasant. You look good down there, Val, he said, relishing the blank, subservient look she threw him. 
He didn't know what this place was, but he turned to James in tights. I want to stay here as long as possible. Stay, he did. He spent days exploring all the nooks and crannies of the castle to see how he'd populated every room with antique furniture, lush velvet or clean modern stone. Even the windows were double-paned yet still looked old. It was amazing. For once, his vision had been fully realized, like the feeling of his vision. Without a hitch, it had made it from his imagination to real life. Or whatever this was. He didn't dare to step foot outside the chateau. He was terrified that it would all disappear. But he didn't really mind. There was plenty to do inside. Besides exploring, he loved ordering Valerie around. Valerie and everyone else. More and more characters started showing up in the castle. People from his childhood. The boy who pushed him off the swing and called him homophobic slurs was now his cook. The girl who drunkenly told him he'd die alone at a cocktail party was now his seamstress, making him custom suits. The head of the design firm that didn't hire him took care of the chateau's pet pigs. Now, all of them answered to him. And he found that it was incredibly satisfying. He'd never thought of himself as domineering. He was sensitive, but he'd watched Valerie domineer for years. He knew how it was done, and it felt so good to be in her place. When he grunted and yelled at her, at any of these people from his past, they just bowed and worked harder. It was magnificent. Remy had never felt more confident, more secure, more powerful. He was respected. With Valerie, he'd picked luxury. If he'd ever given her up, maybe he could have had respect. Here, he could have it all. All the luxury he'd ever craved and all the respect. At least, at first. Over time, things started to change. It was as if the castle was taking on a life of its own, one that wasn't just ruled by Remy's imagination and didn't just give him luxury and respect, no strings attached. First, the peasants with rashes started appearing. Every day they'd file into the main hall of the castle, heads bowed, asking for his royal touch. These people were anonymous. Remy didn't recognize them, but they wouldn't go away if he didn't touch them. They'd just stand there, lining the hall and blocking his way. Maybe this was the responsibility James had alluded to that first day. After all, the royal touch was apparently one of God's special gifts to French kings. Maybe using it was a royal responsibility. Remy couldn't help but resent it. It didn't fit in with his vision of royalty, not after a lifetime of watching Valerie's no-strings-attached power. And after all this time surrounded by the constant luxury of the chateau, he hated the scaly, bumpy feeling of all that discolored skin. But it was easy enough for him to cure his supplicants with the touch of his finger, so he did it. What was getting harder 
was keeping the support staff in line. As the days and weeks went by, they started muttering under their breath as they scrubbed the chateau floors and kept the fires roaring. They glared sullenly as they bowed. His seamstress seemed to jab at him with her pins before softly sputtering apologies. Why were they getting so insolent? He asked James. James bowed, his face comfortingly neutral. Sir, it's not easy to always feel lesser. As the lord of the chateau, you must make your people feel valued and loved. Remy stared at Valerie's back. She was across the room, dusting a gallery wall. Something rose in his chest. It felt like a sob, and also like a scream. He walked up to her, grabbing a crown off a display stand as he went. He jammed it on his head, then tapped her on the shoulder. Valerie, a question from your king. Do you feel valued and loved? She turned to look at him. There was that dark, angry glitter in her eye, one he knew all too well. Sir, I'm not sure what you mean. Remy glared, narrowed his eyes and hissed. Tell me. Valerie's mouth twisted. She shrugged, and then she practically spat at his feet as she replied, No. That feeling waiting in Remy's throat exploded, but not as a sob or a scream. He started to laugh again, like he was glad to hear it. He pushed Valerie against the gallery wall, rattling the frames. Then, he leaned right to her ear and whispered, Good. I'll savor your pain, Valerie, for as long as I can. No matter how many angry little servants glare at me, no matter how many pustule-covered peasants I have to touch, this is why I'm here. To show you how it feels. His face felt hot, his breath ragged, his heart was pounding. He pulled back to look at her face, twisted into a very Valerie expression of horrified fury. Remy grinned at her. He was still king after all, and then, releasing her shoulders, he turned on his heel and walked away. He walked and walked, feeling triumphant adrenaline course through his veins. He'd never stood up to her before, never made her feel the discomfort he'd felt all those years ago. Even if this was some alternate universe, some alternate Valerie, he felt proud. He kept walking, climbing the tight little stairs of the castle towers all the way to the castle ramparts, where he looked out at the snow-covered fields, breathed in the cold air, turned his face up to the sky, and the god who'd apparently put him here with these powers. Maybe I'm not the best royal. Maybe I don't really want to be royal after all. But if I have these powers, I'm going to use them just how power's being used against me. Which is when he heard something, a rustle on the stairs. He turned, saw Valerie, 
with a wicked glint in her eye. She stalked straight up to him. Then, she pushed him over the parapet. Marie was out for her daily walk at the grounds when she saw it. The body falling from the ramparts. She ran as fast as her legs would take her, but it was no use. He was splattered on the ground by the time she got there. There was no blood, but his limbs were turned at odd angles, and so was his neck. A golden crown lay by his side, glittering softly in the snow. Marie fell to her knees. Aurémy, mon chéri, no. She kissed him on the forehead and picked up the crown, shaking her head. Then, she marched into the chateau, all the way to the chapel. At the back of the room, off the pulpit, was a door. Marie opened it, revealing a closet. It shimmered softly, thanks to the glitter of a thousand diamonds scattered across piles of jewelry. There were also several boxes full of vials of oil, holy oil. Marie deposited the crown and grabbed a vial. Then, she shut the door, turned away, and sighed. It's hard to be a good king, alas. But the magic will wait for another. The idea of the divine right of kings didn't come into fashion until the 17th century, with rulers like Louis XIV, the so-called Sun King. Divine right kings like Louis claimed their power came directly from God, which justified their absolute domination over their people. That domination was facilitated by minute, constant control of the aristocracy. Louis demanded that his courtiers constantly attend to him, barely leaving his side. They famously crowded into his bedchamber every morning to help him dress. They had to do everything. But this wasn't an isolated phenomenon in history. Divine right rulers like Louis took their inspiration from earlier traditions which linked kings with God like the tradition of anointing kings with holy oil at their coronations and the tradition of the royal touch. As early as the 11th century, France believed its kings had the power to cure skin disease. The belief remained widely popular until the 18th century and the end of Louis XIV's reign. When the Age of Enlightenment took over Europe, it ushered in the concept of democracy and made it clear that kings weren't always so godly. Which gets at another side of the power that Louis and his predecessors wielded. If power is God-given, then so is the duty to use power wisely. And if you fail to use it wisely, well, you'll pay a God-given price.
Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Superstitions was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Stacey Nemick and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petras. I'm Alastair Murden. Thank you.